Welcome to the Land and Legacy Podcast. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your number one resource for all things land. If you're interested in conservation, habitat management, hunting strategy, and rural real estate, this is the podcast for you. Hey guys, welcome back to the Land and Legacy Podcast. Adam here. We're going to jump into this week's podcast with one of our clients we visited with this spring, Mr. Eric Pickock over in southern Kentucky. He's got an interesting story, bought the property several years ago, it has been doing all kinds of work, um, but as time has progressed, he's gotten more serious about true habitat management. So we visited him in February, and long story short, he's come a long ways. I think you're going to enjoy this one. Before we kick it off, though, we just want to remind you, one of our partners that makes this podcast possible, Niangua Coffee. If you're looking for a great cup of coffee this fall, uh, with the temperatures dropping, deer camp just around the corner, not going to find a better cup of coffee than Niangua Coffee. Great people, great coffee. That's N-I-A-N-G-U-A-C-O-F-F-E-E.com. Niangua Coffee. Check them out. All right, guys, um, we're going to jump into this podcast here uh, with one of our clients that we visited um, this past February, and uh, you're going to hear this story of kind of, he's he's one of the clients that I enjoy hearing updates from, and, uh, you know, we're just going to jump right in. As you heard me talk at the beginning of this podcast, uh, kind of what excites me about this project, but uh, we got Mr. Eric Pickock on here. Eric, how are you? I'm doing great. It's good to be with you. Awesome, awesome. Well, I know it's been uh, you still riding high over there. Yes, sir. It's uh, it's been going good. We've uh, had a had a good start to the fall. Um, I got one on the ground uh, a couple of days ago on the twenty second, I believe, and so started off good. It, it was the first time I was I went hunting this season. So, oh man. Well, when you when you uh, when you get one buck tag in Kentucky, you have to ride that high as long as you possibly can, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do. Uh, yeah, that's right. Cause you better make it count. If you don't, you're going <laughs> yeah. to regret it. Yeah. So, so you have for for the listeners, you have one buck tag in the state of Kentucky. Yeah. And by the way, I don't know if you guys figured this out yet. But uh, I I love talking to all the different people. But it's just like when I when I'm talking to a guy from Kentucky, I know he's from Kentucky or at least close by because of his his accent. So uh, no different with you. And uh, so you get one buck tag, and you just told me that it was your first hunt, right? Yeah, that was uh, that the the hunt that I went on the other day was the first one that I've been on uh, this season. Oh man, uh, so. You're one and done. Yep, that's that's it for me. So the rest of the rest of the season will be filled up with uh, kids and the wife and you know that sort of thing. So awesome, awesome. Yeah. So let's walk me through. I guess we'll go through your hunt first, and then we'll dial it back and go to we'll go all the way to rewind. Actually, no, let's not do that. Uh, we're going to start off, I visited your place back February, I think it was right after the um, National Wild Turkey Federation National Convention, um, 
in, I guess that's right there around Valentine's Day every year, and I visited your place, and, uh, you know, I, I even covered it on this podcast, kind of a mix of a mix of uh, habitat features. You had some big timber. You had some uh, other timber stands that were not necessarily big timber, but old fields that had grown up over time. Um, you had crops. You had big food plots. Um, you had a lot of edge already occurring. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. And, uh, you know, the one big thing, the one shining feature that uh, that I think I highlighted on that podcast was the amount of invasives on your place. Yeah, that's right. I had a ton of them. I had a ton of them. I've waged war on those. Yeah, so to... tell me, you know, how long have you owned the place? I bought the place in the fall of 2016. It was in November of 2016 when I when I when I bought it. It went up for auction, and it was a place that I'd already hunted. That I'd hunted this this farm and was familiar with it and knew it uh, since I was a boy. Oh wow! And uh, and so uh, it was. Well, it was that same year I'd actually. I'd actually killed a, a really nice buck that that same fall that the same fall that I bought it uh, in the fall of 2016. So that deer suckered you in. Yeah, it did. <laughs> it did. That, that, that's a story in and of itself. I had no idea um, that I would buy the place. I had no idea I'd end up with it. Um, it was just kind of a. I didn't know I would even be able to buy. Uh, a piece of ground and uh, I just I got to checking on it and, and you saw that there was uh, perhaps a possibility I could get it and I had a had a number in mind that I was going to give and that's what it brought and so I was able to get it and I, I was just fortunate in how that many regard. how many total acres 125 125 acres and you were hunting it is this the this was the first ever piece of ground that you'd bought. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, I mean, my dad's always had land and I grew up on a farm, but uh, this is the first ground that I've owned myself. Gotcha. So you bought the farm or you killed a nice buck and you turn around and you bought the farm. Now it's 2016. So going into 2017, um, you started, uh, what, what was the initial as a, as a land owner, focused or or very interested in hunting what were some of the first things you did to that place well i i believe i tried i believe i tried everything under the sun that uh uh, i made a lot of mistakes i tried i mean i i was i was just soaking stuff up like a sponge if i i was watching stuff on youtube i was reading magazines i was i mean i'll see stuff and i'll be like man i ought to try that (laughs) that's a scary world man yeah and and man i i would try it and it's some of it was good a lot of it was bad and you know i it's funny i i'm i'm kind of uh uh old-fashioned at heart and you know i didn't even i didn't even know what a podcast was till like two years ago and you know i was somebody told me about them i thought it was like 
books that people read to you or something. So, so I got to looking on these podcasts and I ran across you guys and I'm, man, I've been thankful for that ever since. Awesome. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, visiting your place. Uh, you're kind of Southern Kentucky, correct? Yeah. You know, right on yeah. the, I'm, I, my house, of course it's, it's about 10 miles from the farm, but I live within a mile of Tennessee, Kentucky line. Okay. So everybody can kind of visualize he's, yeah. he's Southern Kentucky and, uh, you know, just in a, in a course of, or a study side of five years, you're going to have probably, do you believe you probably, if you, if you look over the course of five years, 2015 to 2020, do you feel like you had hotter summers? Like the summer was a bigger stress period or a winter? being a bigger stress period when you look at the years what do you think the the winters have been somewhat mild they haven't been all that bad yeah um there there have been a a, i'd say within five years we might have we've had a couple good snows that lasted a long time but by and large mild winters hot summers um you know that that that's typically what what we see. So your biggest history. stress period is is the middle of uh, or late summer, probably if you get a drought, and right. sometimes a winter. So you're looking. Right. There's a lot of guys that probably, if you ask them that, um, that's and you ask them to look back over the course of five years, they may say, "Wow, actually, you know, I think the summers are probably worse." Um, you don't think about it because summers aren't as bad on us as as the winters can be, but when you're looking at food availability and heat and insects and all those things, late summer, especially on drought years, uh, could be much harder on deer than winter in your area when you look at five-year studies or 10-year study site. Um, and so that kind of plays in with, with the direction of, you know, some of the big habitat features that you did initially. Um when I was there, uh, you had several acres that you'd planted in switchgrass monocultures, um, yep. and that kind of play into that whole like this is this is the grass that stands up to the winters. But as you know, the winters aren't that t- tough for you. Um, right. So one of the big things that we looked at was okay, how do we incorporate more of a herbaceous uh, more herbaceous plant communities within these old field acres to where it's not so much of a, a dominated landscape of switchgrass. Right. Yeah. Because I had, you know, I had ended up having several acres of, of that switchgrass. And of course, you know, that, that that's expensive to put in and, and time consuming. And, you know, you invest a lot in trying to put that in and, um, you know, I had, I had, uh, in the establishment years, I had, I was dealing with, uh, um, <clears throat> Japanese spilt grass. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was bad and I was dealing with that. And then when it was getting established, I just, I, personally, I just didn't see, uh, I just didn't really see them using it, uh, like I'd hope. you know, I thought it was going to be this, just this magnet, you yeah. know, they were going to be stacked in there like cordwood. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I, and, but it just, it wasn't like that at all. I mean, it just seemed like they stuck to, 
the typical places I'd always, you know, seen them, you know, in the uh, more more timbered areas, cut cut over timbered areas, that kind of thing. Yep. So that's where they stayed. You know, that's where they wanted to be. Yep. Yeah, it makes sense. It's kind of one of those know your climate, know your area, because uh, switchgrass may be an amazing thing for your area, but I mean, in one of the listeners. And and so if you're, for your case, you're going, ah, man, this isn't what I hoped. Yeah, yeah. And it got so rank quick and and within a couple of years, you know, it just, you know, there were some spots. It was just, uh, I don't know why a deer would want to go through it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's typically what we see a lot too in in our experience, and and that goes even in Iowa's. Sometimes switchgrass gets so so thick that the deer almost you almost create bottlenecks or barriers that you know that they're going to walk around it because they don't want to fight their way through it. Mm-hmm. Which makes sense when you think about a deer, and um, the first thing to go into the into the into the brush is a sensitive nose and and eyeballs in their face and you mm-hmm. think about switchgrass it's like well that's kind of like jumping into a, a big old spider web for you and i yeah um, not doesn't sound like a lot of fun so you kind of uh as as we visit is like all right we need to figure out a way to incorporate more herbaceous plants in these switchgrass areas get the more old field aspect uh, mm-hmm. 125 acres how many acres in crop uh 25 okay so about 100 acres to manage for the wildlife, um, the actual habitat. And then how many acres of food plots? About five. So you got about five acres. Um, so 5% of the 100 acres that you're managing, but uh, over the whole acres, oh, whole acreage, you're less than 5%. So typical. It's it's very typical for, uh, and there's going to be a podcast coming soon on this kind of topic for Matt and I, but... Um, Less than five percent of the total farm is in food plots. Mm-hmm. If I was to go out on a limb, that's probably one of the first things, one of your first things you implemented whenever you bought the farm. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It was. It, if it wasn't that, it was food plots and planting. Uh, you know, all kinds of trees. Okay. Yep. That that is another fruit common. Trees. That's right. right. Yeah. Yep. So you did yeah. plant fruit trees. What kind? What yeah. species did you plant? I planted pear and apple. Okay. Um, 2016, and so you plant those and ended up in 17, or did you plant them right when you got there? I, I planted it like day one. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So you're four yeah, years four years into it. Have you seen much fruit produced? Uh, I got some of my first fruit this year. Okay. So yeah. four-year investment, now you're starting to see some fruit. Right. Okay, um, right. and then you look and, at, okay, go ahead. And, and with the fruit trees, you know, um, it, it, it'll be okay, but uh, it's going to work out better for me now because I'm going to be living there. Yeah. And and so I can take care of it, whereas if it if they were just stuck out there to take care of themselves, you know, it, it's a little bit it's a little bit more difficult to, to, yeah. to make them ever produce they're not quite as hardy and as thick skinned as an oak are they no they're not (laughs) yeah so um you planted food plots and you planted the fruit trees you planted switchgrass not too long into that and then um one thing that i i will say uh 
that I that probably excites me the most about your project was your already occurring and future plans to manage the timber. Tell me about right. the first little bit when you started managing the timber. All right, when I when I bought the place, um, I I bought the land and another guy bought the timber and he was to clear cut it and and that's what he did. You know, he he come in, he clear cut it and he was gone within a few months time. So I was left um you know with a you know with just regeneration of what yep. was ever going to come back. You were left so, with a uh basically for people to to see a picture um you have a big giant field of or a 125 acre field of of corn and it's sold and then another guy buys the corn and then he harvests yeah. all the corn and then leaves all the weeds. Right. Yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> and you're waiting on the spilled grain to sprout and grow more corn or yeah. or the weeds are going to outcompete those. And that's exactly what's kind of occurring of you had some yep. young oaks and some twisted up oaks and oaks yep. in hard to reach places, but for yep. the most part if there was any kind of value on the place, it was it was yep. cut. Yep. Which and, and and you know, I mean from just just for me personally, you know, I'm never going to see I'm never going to see the benefit in my lifetime of, of what those trees are going to eventually become um, and see them harvested. But somebody will. Yeah. And somebody's going to come on after me. And, and so, you know, I thought, you know, my children, you know, may benefit from this. My kids, you know, they may benefit, you know, for me to, to be a good steward and to take care of, of, what timber is there and do everything I could to make sure that it would make something profitable for them one day. Um, and so I started TSI. Um, I was paid to do it. So why would, why in the world do you not do it? Um, yep. And so, uh, a lot of that involved invasives and controlling invasives and, um, and then, uh, you know, I had help with define uh, with, figuring out what species to keep and what species not uh to keep and uh and so that was a i I, it hadn't been that long since i finished uh some of those tsi projects and i i can tell you know even in a short time i can tell a difference in those areas Yeah. yeah how quickly did you notice deer benefiting from your tsi areas uh, is almost immediate. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you could cut, cut, you cut a tree down, and they'd be, eat, they'd be eating on the buds that evening. Yeah. You know, um, it was. Or they would be, or they would be in there just milling around, just, just checking things out. And, I mean, you would, you would every day you'd go in, you would be busting deer out. Yeah. So. When you bought the farm. And you started, you know, you planted fruit trees, you planted food plots, you put in some switchgrass, and then you started cutting timber. Mm-hmm. I, I, I personally have a strong bias for native habitat management. Um, yes. And so, but I hope everybody caught the the difference in planting the fruit trees. Now, the fruit trees, I'm not bashing those. I, I like planting trees as well. But you yeah. have to have a different mindset and don't expect to sink them in the ground and be shooting 
booners off of yeah. booners 20 yards away eating apples. Uh, it takes yeah. it's a long term investment with a lot of variables that could come into play to to, to kill that investment. Um, right. But the timber stand improvements where you're like uh, the night of or the next day, it's almost immediate. Not only yep. is it immediate food, but it was almost immediate cover, and it lasts for several years. Yeah. And, yeah. and too, I, I, I really noticed that as I got rid of as I got rid of one thing, I, you know, something else would come back. And, and, you know, a lot of times it was it was something good that you wanted there. And so, uh, you know, that was exciting uh, to go and to see. You know, I went – I was driving – I was driving through the farm today on a section of the timber and, uh, that I had done some work in and, and there was, a uh, purple mist flowers just everywhere. Oh yeah. 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 It's a and, beautiful uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, man, that's so pretty. Uh, For sure. And you know what wasn't there, you know, wasn't there until I got rid of some stuff. Yeah. It was just in the seed bank waiting to, waiting to jump. Right. Yeah. Um, so I want to back up. So people probably like who who's paying you? You entered NRCS um, Equip program. Is that or was that the program you went with, or was it a state program? Um, it was through the state. I okay, believe. through the state. Yep. Um, so a lot of states have the option to do cost share programs to help landowners improve habitat. Uh, for a lot of wildlife so you're not going in and and doing a bunch of hinge cuts it was a lot of just timber stand improvement so you're trying yeah. to remove uh, yeah. remove invasives remove overstocked areas and trying to just promote diversity and promote a healthy forest yeah yeah i mean it was it was a, it was you know everything that you would be doing anyway uh, for the most part yeah um you know except you know, except they're paying you to do it with the hopes of in the future, maybe them seeing a return on their, their small investment. Uh, yep. You know, so. Meaning basically what he's saying is uh, they may pay you $2,000 to, to do this big area or this area to cut. And then 10 years from now, you may do a harvest where it brings in $20,000 and they get tax yeah. benefits. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 So, um, it, it, and it works really well, and I think the government cost share is a, is a great program for a lot of people to utilize, and, and that's kind of the mindset the government has with it is they'll get their money at some point if it's done yeah. correctly. Right. Yeah, or, or it creates healthy healthy uh, populations of games, so you're going to be buying tags and buying gear to chase them so they get a tax on that. Right, right. So it, it works well. Um, right. When you first planted your food plot – because um, you've kind of been a little bit of a, uh, I've been we've been chatting since since the consult. Now I visited in February, and you'd already planted Legacy Blend last fall uh, or yeah. the fall prior. So I got to see Legacy um, a lot earlier. You were starting to green up even where we were at uh, or where you're at uh, mm -hmm. long before it was greening up over here. Uh, right. You already had some turnips starting to put off some yellow blooms. Um, and so you'd planted the Legacy 12A blend and um, had done well for you. Um, walk me through a little bit. You've got five acres of food plots. So you, you planted, 
I can't remember, so you have to refresh my memory, but you had a lot of legacy, but you also had some clover, um, some clover plots, and uh, you had a couple openings that are going to be converted into food plots, uh, yep. or converted back into food plots, and so you planted legacy, and then you went in and terminated, and you planted, um, for some of our social media people, you may have seen a video where uh, a guy was driving through Heritage in late summer in August, and it was just all kinds of stuff falling over as he was getting ready to plant. That was yep. you. That was your video. Yep. And yep. Uh, so you planted Heritage into the Legacy Blend last spring. Yep. Uh, no fertilizer. No. Did you just uh, walk me through your planting process? Uh, well, before I'd had the, before I'd had the legacy, you know, I had, I had, there was soybeans there. So yep. the, the, the soil, uh, was, was built up fairly well yep. when, when the legacy was put in. Yep. Um, so, you know, I felt like that I could coast, uh, through with these multiple blend species. I believe I thought I could coast through, uh, without, without without or with very little inputs yes so so i planted the legacy done really well i was was really happy with it but i wanted to transition that field to more of a perennial plot um you know i I just saw that there was some benefits for me and some benefits that i i had observed it i wanted a perennial um so i wanted to convert it to uh revival um, but I didn't want it to lay there all summer with, with nothing on it. So I, I planted the heritage on, on into the legacy and the Hegis, the heritage grew all summer. And, and I really enjoyed watching that, that stuff grow, man. It was, it was, it was something else. I exploded and, um, my kids got to go, uh, play with the sunflowers and take pictures in the sunflowers and. My wife liked it, and so that was a bonus. And, uh, and so we planted the heritage. I enjoyed it. And then uh, I drove over it, just kind of flattened it, and then drilled into it with the revival. Yeah, that's the that's the clover and the clover, alfalfa, alfalfa and chicory. Yeah. Yeah. And I drilled in into that that I folded over. So based on your location, <clears throat> southern Kentucky, Hotter summers than they are cold winters. You yeah. lean more on perennial mixes like clover, alfalfa, chicory than you do annuals, or especially, you know, there's some of your standing grains going to be great, but I'm guessing yeah. over that five-year, same same test site that we talked about with your climate is if you look at five years and go, which one's better, you probably lean more towards alfalfa, clover, chicory blend than you yeah. do standing soybeans. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, absolutely, and and you know, with our winters not being as harsh, and um, you know, with the exception of maybe a few, you know, every now and then, it just seems like those those mm-hmm. perennial type plots just they just suit suit me so well in this area. Yeah, and uh, I think there's a lot of people that probably notice that as well. Um, yeah, yeah, especially down south, the right. standing right. standing soybeans are. Are great for a lot of people, but if you're down south, you got a, lo- a very small window of where their peak performance when you compare it to a, a perennial blend like the revival blend or a clover chicory alfalfa right. blend, similar right. to that. So, um, right. yeah, and, 
and I like the I, I like the idea of not having to, you know, plant that field every year. Yeah, don't we? You all? know, that's definitely a bit, definitely a, a perk. Yeah. Um, you know, just one less thing that I have to have to do. You know, the spraying it and mowing it once or twice. You know, that's that's not as big a deal for me. So yeah, as it is, you know, working in a a time where I can get a drill and take the drill down there and and put it in the ground. So. Yeah. So that's that was one benefit that I want. Why I wanted to do it as well. Talk to me a little bit about your eastern red cedar removal. Oh man. Uh, well, I had plenty of them, <laughs> uh, and I had I had plenty of them, and, and I got. I just I don't think I ever I don't think I ever dreamed I'd be cutting that many cedars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just because I had in my mind from years past that that's that's the best stuff ever you why would you want to do that you know you why would you kill the clo- uh, kill the cover yeah <laughs> but, uh, but but i i saw that you know when i cut those cedars down um and i saw what would come back in its place um you know i realized that there was there was a lot of benefits to that but anyway i have you I burned any cedar. yet? Yeah, I have. I have actually, uh, and uh, you know that's, you know that's really something. What when you burn, not just to cut them, but then when you cut and then burn, um, man, the the results is just amazing. I love it when I when uh, doing those fields like that. Yeah. Have you have you had? Uh, I'm almost scared to ask, but. You haven't seen any quail. Well, I've I have seen them driving down the road. Okay. Uh, so, and and I'm saying driving down the road not very far from my place. Okay. Um, you know, so I I, I know they're in the area. I just haven't. You just I haven't, haven't seen, seen them on yet. your farm yet. Yeah. No, not yet. Gotcha. Well, you're not doing yet. all the right things. So we haven't even mentioned edge feathering. Right. Yeah, yeah, we did that too. Yeah, we've laid. Uh, I laid out a bunch of edge feathering for you, and you've been hammering away on it, hammering out, yep. uh, diversifying your old fields, trying to yep. get back, um, not be so thick in your switchgrass because we know the yep. switchgrass monoculture is not great for the bobwhite quail. So, yep. um, you've been trying to diversify that, removing invasives. Japanese stiltgrass, as you mentioned earlier, was one of the big ones. Yep. Um, how's the fight with Japanese stiltgrass? What what have you found to be the most effective way to control it, or at least knock it well, back? In the in areas that were open, what my strategy was, and what I tried to do, or, or what I did do, was in the let's see, uh, early spring, March, April. I burn off those fields of switchgrass, um, switchgrass and Japanese steelgrass. I burn those off. And the reason I did that is because I wanted that, I wanted that steelgrass to come back with a vengeance as far as germination goes. Yep. And then once, you know, it really come back strong and it was really germinating and really coming on, I went in and hit it with a herbicide. And, you know, after that, I mean, 
there was stuff that was coming up growing that shaded the ground and you know i I didn't see any more stilt grass uh with the exception of just a few minor spots that i'd go back and and treat um but that that worked really good awesome Um, what's growing in those areas now six months removed um lots and lots and lots of ragweed it's unbelievable how much ragweed um six seven foot tall ragweed oh man that sounds beautiful minus my allergies yeah yeah i mean it's just it's Mm. it's so tall is it like i mowed a path through it and it's so tall that that on each side of the path it's it's drooping over and it's it's touching one another it's so is so it I, giant ragweed or is it common? no it's just common ragweed no, wow I, there was some giant ragweed too but but that it was just mostly common ragweed that's just crazy grew tall ironweed i got milkweed everywhere um i got uh let's see uh what's the one that's got the yellow flower oh golden rod i bet there's a lot of bees and a lot of insects over there then if you've got that much different uh different stuff in it that's great that's so awesome so awesome how have you noticed much on the deer activity uh usage i mean it sounds like the ragweed's as thick as the switchgrass but have you noticed much (laughs) usage out of out of it well i think that you know it is thick it is thick but they utilize those paths that I made. Okay. And I and I think that next year's going to be better. And yeah. I think maybe the next year after that's going to be even better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that as you know, you get different different things coming in and different structures and different sizes of things. Um, and I, I think it's just going to get better. That's awesome. Uh, but yes, they they do they do use it and um. I like it much better now, uh, like it is, than I did when it was switchgrass. What the family, you said the family liked the heritage blend. What's the family think of that with all the milkweed and all the all the other natives blooming? Yeah, they they really liked that. They thought that was cool. They, That's awesome. You know, um, you know my, my son, you know, he's uh, three, and, you know, sunflower heads as big as his head and and he just thought that was amazing you know they were so pretty um you know and and my wife liked them and so uh, i believe i believe we got some folks uh uh, there was uh, there was some folks in the community that wanted to come take pictures um you know family pictures in in next to the sunflowers and so uh, yeah we that was something that we all enjoyed and and in the summertime we'd go over and and when they first started blooming we'd see some blooming and the next week would come by and there would be more blooming and so that that was something that we all enjoyed awesome you know riding around looking at those oh man so it sounds like you're you're uh you've improved all your old fields you're you're increasing your soft edge by edge feathering and removing invasives you're you're not only removing invasives in the old fields, but you've got them in the timber you're working on. You're doing timber stand improvement. You're doing all the things that we talk about through the podcast, and you've done it in the course of, or, or the course of, however long it's been—six months, eight months. 
um, yeah. since I visited with you. Um, do you feel like the the last eight months, um, the the changes that you've seen and how drastic it they've been in 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 areas? Do you feel like uh, like how's your and I almost I don't even want to romanticize it, but how is your overall emotions on the farm with this kind of habitat management versus the 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 traditional food plot plant trees mineral trail camera type stuff oh man i i, I just I, I i believe i look forward to january more than i do uh opening day of deer season or turkey season or whatever <laughs> isn't it crazy yeah, I, I mean, it's just, you know, I, I've just got a list of things I just can't wait to try and to do because, you know, I just see, you know, I'd see the benefits of it. And uh, so, so yeah, I, I, I love it way more than I do just food plots, which I love food plots, but if it, it, you know, doing food plots only, it's just, uh, it's just so inadequate. Yeah. So far what it could potentially be if you put all your i guess eggs in one basket and that basket being food plots when it comes to your 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 time on the farm that's not hunting we all know food plots fail a lot easier than <laughs> than your native stuff and so it's like right. oh man what's going on why am i so bad at this and you can yeah. find yourself singing the blues and almost building this dark cloud over you when you think about your farm um, yeah. and this type of I, you know, we talked to so many clients in the course of a year and it's always, it's almost more of a mindset change to where at the end of the year, you can look back and say, man, I just enjoyed my time on the farm rather than saying, oh, what do I got to do next year to make sure I re- reach my goals? Yeah. Uh, you start, you carry this happiness with you of, okay, as soon as deer season's over, I'll be right back at it rather yeah. than getting the cabin fever and being depressed. Right. Right. Yeah. So let's jump in and start talking about your hunt. So there's a lot of things that you and I discussed uh, over the since since you harvested this deer. But walk me through. You know, it's late summer. You're probably aware of some deer on the farm. Um, mm-hmm. And and what was that like? Like when did you find out about this buck? Um, the day the the day that I killed him. I, <laughs> exactly. It, it, yeah. Is when I, when I, he showed up, um, you know, which is typical this time of year, they, their velvets off and their patterns are changing and, you know, deer going different places and doing different things, you know, cause it's, you can't just contain them, uh, you know, in a, in a real small area, you know, they're going to, they're going to go where they want to go. Yep. So this particular deer, um, showed up on my my camera, uh, which I get sent pictures. They sent, sends me to my phone. Yep. Showed up on my camera uh, that that the evening before that I killed him, yeah. And then the morning of that I killed him, and so I thought, and it was all of them was in daylight. So you know, I, I felt really confident that um, that if he was there that morning. Um, and the evening prior, um, you know, there's, there's a really good chance he's going to come back through. Uh, so I just took that, that most, you know, recent information and went in, had a, had a, uh, d- decent wind, 
and went in and and you know he came came through you know right you know the last of the last part of the evening so it was mm. you know it and he was, was headed to the soybean field right yeah that's right he Eat, was headed to a soybean field eating green leaves off soybeans yep yep and yep. so uh you know to count for the 25 acres of crops you have you know he was coming it's it's funny because when I was visiting there, you were starting to implement some roads, some access yep. roads, and most importantly, some firebreak roads. Um, so yep. along your along your boundaries, and you created one that was going from an amazing saddle uh, that we stood there, mm-hmm. and you said, "This is one of my favorite places." I'm like, "I totally get it. This is a, an amazing <laughs> bottleneck." Yeah, it's like I'm gonna yeah. I'm planning on putting a road from here down to the to the field. And I was like, "I'm all in favor of that," and it's a great firebreak, and it's just gonna basically yep. create a highway of deer that are in this bottleneck that want to get to the field they're just going to walk right down the path of least resistance and that's yep. exactly what happened for you yeah what and, was it and and what was what was interesting about that those roads and those those uh boundary line roads and then the firebreak roads is that there were deer that i know you know would have had to have been uh bedded or come from you know maybe a neighbor but they, they they would come to those roads, and they would. It was just like death road, is what it was. They <laughs> they would they would come to those roads, and they, that's where they wanted to go. That's where they wanted to be. It's like the and, Green uh, Mile. We're walking the mile, walking the mile, yep. walking the Green Mile. Yep. Oh man. Yep. Wow. What the, what the deer end up scoring? Uh, he scored one thirty five. One thirty five. Uh, shot it with a bow. Yep. Yep. Yeah. How old? uh, He was four. Well, the best I can tell, the best from what I know about him, he's four and a half. Four and a half. So you had pictures. uh, You had pictures of a a buck that you had seen throughout the summer that you believed was three and a half. Yep. And he was with this buck, and this buck was significantly bigger bodied than than the three and a half year old. So you're going, okay, he's he's definitely mature, and that's what I want to harvest personally. So he's he's ready to – I'm ready to make yeah. this happen. Yeah. Awesome. And, uh, you know, so that, 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 you know, that's my main objective. I wanted to kill something that was at least four and a half. Perfect. And, uh, and you know, that's what I did. I wasn't you – know, I'm not really – I'd love for him to have been 170, but that's, you know, that's secondary. So yep. I, I, was, I was more than happy. That's uh, awesome. With, uh, with taking this deer what a what a year for habitat and getting the reward of all that work because i know you've been you've been pounding away over there on the, on habitat management so it's it's always nice to hear a client that's like first day out took this buck and it's like man that happened fast yeah right right <laughs> yeah. that's awesome yeah. well I, I know you're going to enjoy the fall the remainder of the fall um with the family Hopefully get them some deer as well. Hopefully take a few does uh, also. Um, yeah. But and yeah, and then be ready to get back after it. Yeah. Yeah. The does is definitely on my list of things I got to do. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on and telling your story and and uh, hopefully inspiring others to to do some habitat work uh, so they can also reap the rewards of the hard work. Well, I I very much appreciate the opportunity. Yeah.